0: Hello and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Lord, we we turn our faces to the central event, to Jesus of Nazareth on the cross, in the tomb. We turn our faces to that and we ask, What is going on? What is happening here? Your message is that you are for us. You have come to love us, and your love cannot be stopped. That's what you say is true, and those are your promises. So, as we consider that message and that promise today, Lord, would you open our hearts as we just sang? We're listening quiet other voices, open our hearts to hear your voice today. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you're joining us for the first time, you're coming at the tail end of a series that we've been doing called The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus. Uh, In short, we've been examining uh, the the habits and practices around this historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth. It's kind of been premised off of a, a line by the Nobel physicist Erwin Schrodinger, Where he was asked, you know, or or I don't know if he was asked, but he stated, How does a living organism remain alive? And he said, Very obviously, by eating and drinking and consuming and breathing. Uh, And he sort of said, You know, whatever you consume, you're gonna metabolize into energy, right? And that energy is gonna lead to life or it's gonna lead to death. And when we look at the person, Jesus of Nazareth, when we look at the story surrounding him, we see a, an energy, a power, of a, a vitality that we don't see elsewhere, which leads us to sort of ask, well, I'll have whatever he's having. What is he consuming? And we spent the first part of the series uh, e- examining his claims. He's, he told us what he's consuming. He goes, I can do nothing by myself. I do only what I see the Father doing. Jesus's power, Jesus's energy comes from practices that build a very healthy relationship with God. And in that being the case, as what we've been doing in these last couple weeks, transitioning in this season of Lent leading to Easter, we're looking at sort of four core impulses. A lot of scholars have traced back all of the destruction of the earth uh, and and sort of the impulses of the human heart. And they found that there are four core desires in the human heart, that when they become distorted or, or warped can cause a lot of pain. But there are four core things that the human heart wants. And they say that it's uh, comfort, we long for comfort, we long for control, we long for approval, and we long for power. And how we handle those four core impulses, comfort, control, approval, and power, um, says something about the type of life we live. And so what we've been looking at is uh, questions around, well, how does Jesus handle these things? Because he's a human, how did he handle uh, the desire for comfort? How did he handle the desire for control? And today what we're going to examine is approval. Approval. I mean, at its core, trying to define approval, it's essentially a longing to be accepted, right? It's a longing to be validated, to be affirmed, to be desired. And, you know, just this is totally not objective, this is my own sort of uh, subjective opinion. But I've, I've, as a pastor, I have the, the privilege of meeting with a lot of you, <laughs> a lot of people. I get to hear stories all the time. And I've noticed that a lot of us, we struggle with comfort. We struggle with, with power. We struggle with control. But it feels like, again, it's my own subjective you know, opinion, it feels like approval is what most of us struggle with, longing to be approved longing for someone to say they desire us as we are we yearn after it approval from parents approval from spouses from children from our career we just want someone to tell us we're good we're good it's like we have this bottomless pit of approval i remember there's this there's this video of a uh, of an improv group a college improv group and there are these four guys and they're just sort of like talking and stuff and and one of them looks at the other three and he goes you know I'm not saying it's my girlfriend's job to give me endless and highly specific compliments every five seconds on the second, but isn't it? And then he says that, and before he can get it out, another guy goes, yes, absolutely. That's the friend part. I mean, she's a girlfriend, but she is your friend. And it feels like that's true, right? It feels like we have this bottomless pit of approval. We just want people to continue to affirm us, to affirm us. Uh, My wife, Anna, um, who's just up here, she loves golden buzzer videos on America's Got Talent. Anyone watch America's Got Talent? Golden buzzer videos? Yeah, you put your hands high. Yeah, you don't have to be ashamed of that. Yes, exactly. Um, Our staff meeting this last Monday, we may or may not have spent time watching some golden buzzer videos. I'm not going to tell you all that we did, but there might have been a little bit of that. Uh, I remember one time I walked in and, I, and Anna was crying, and, which is already odd because I'm the emotional one in our relationship. I cry all the time. Anna does not. Uh, she is stoic. It is amazing. But um, I, I walked in and she was crying. I'm like, what are you crying about, babe? And uh, she was like sheepish. And she goes, I'm watching these golden buzzer videos on Americans Got Talent. And I'm like, what, is, what are, what are golden buzzer videos? And so she she shows me, she tells me, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a talent contest. People come up, they sing a song, um, or do a dance, or whatever. They perform, and uh, there's a judge's panel, and they can slap a button, which is like the worst way to vote for someone, to slap a button, hear this loud sound. Um, but they slap a button, and, and that, that approves of them. That says, oh, you sang well, you're approved of. But each judge, there's this other special button called the golden buzzer. And you only get one of those, you know, per, I don't know all the rules. You only get one. You don't do it often, right? And, um, and every now and again, if there's like a truly phenomenal performer, they'll sort of like build the hype, build the energy, and they'll slap the golden buzzer video. And so I watched one of these with her, and it was just like, guys, it's emotional porn is what it is. They just know what they're doing. Because they tell you the story, and it's like this this rags to riches, they've overcome tremendous suffering. It's this beautiful story and the music, the piano's playing, it's wonderful. They come out there, there's a huge audience and everyone's just sort of like, what are you gonna do for us today, you know? And, um, and the judges are there and then they start performing and they're incredible, they're absolutely amazing and people are like floored and then uh, the judge, they finish and people are you know, applauding and cheering and then, and then the judges, they start giving their, their feedback. You can tell what they're already gonna do. They don't hide it well. And they're like, well, I'm not gonna give you this buzzer, but I am gonna do this. And they go to slap the golden buzzer, and somehow time goes into slow motion. I don't know how it happens, but then it goes really slow, and they hit it, and then golden confetti starts falling, and they start crying, and people stand up cheering, and their families off to the sides, and they're crying, and they run to hug them, And then you're just weeping. I watched one and I was just in tears. like, what the heck is this? (laughs) Like, what are they doing to us? (laughs) But I think they're really smart. (laughs) I think they're tapping into the essence of something here. Because I want to, you know, go out on a limb and say, the reason why we cry is because we all want that moment, don't we? We want to stand there, And someone, the judge, whoever this metaphorical judge is, to slap the golden buzzer and time to go in slow motion and golden confetti to fall and all of our loved ones to run out crying to hug us and say, you're approved. You're approved. Isn't that what we want? That's the essence of what's going on, which is why it taps into something very primal. I want to look at approval today. Why do we cry at Golden Buzzer videos? That's the the basic question, right? What are we lacking? How do we handle it? How does Jesus deal with approval? And we're gonna go through a story in John's gospel, which is a very long story, so I'm not gonna go through all of it, but don't worry, I'm gonna summarize the important parts. Trust me on it. Um, It's early on in John's gospel. It's from the sixth chapter. Just to give you a little context, Jesus is starting, his ministry's begun, rumors are starting to spread about him, uh, people are sort of words getting around. This guy has power. This guy can do stuff, right? And when we pick up uh, the story, he has just fed 5,000, at least 5,000 people. Uh, the story says 5,000 men, but there are more women and children there. He's just fed them. And people are freaking out. They're like, whoa, how did this guy do it? And so we pick it up and we're gonna go through chunk by chunk throughout, throughout the, the, the message today. So this is what it starts, right? Verse 14 and 15, chapter six. We read, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. There's so much in here. First, they saw the sign Jesus performed. That's how it starts. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they, they began to say, oh man, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. We humans, we give approval to what people do, not who they are, which seems to be very, very important. And I'm gonna come back to this throughout. The, the Golden Buzzer video, right? They sang a song. They did a dance. They performed something, they demonstrated some gift, some characteristic, some feature that is unique to them and not to the masses. No one else fed the 5,000, Jesus fed the 5,000. We give approval to what people do. And that's always been the case. Dan Kruger, who's an evolutionary psychologist, he writes that in our evolutionary history, we've always had a social structure where there's a variation in social status. There's always been a status hierarchy. I don't know why I said status once and status there. I don't know what that was. Um, It used to be the people who were the best hunters or gatherers or the shamans. They played special roles that set them apart. So we looked up to those people. We followed those people. They had authority. There's this sense where we lack approval in ourselves. We lack this unique characteristic in ourselves and so we seek it out from others. How do we know who those others are? Well, they perform signs. They do something unique that no one else can do. Even if it's just they're born into a certain family, right? Maybe that's the only thing they did. But like, because they're born into that family and the rest of the masses weren't, they have some unique characteristic about them. They they performed a sign, they earned approval. And when that happens, when they saw the sign Jesus performed, they tried to make him king by force. They tried to make him king by force. See, this is what we do. We make humans into superhumans, hoping they'll be able to give us the approval we so desperately lack. We make humans into superhumans. We take a guy who fed 5,000 and go, Oh, you be king over us, because no one else can do that. Maybe you'll fulfill what is so lacking within me. And this impulse is everywhere. It's in everything. It's even in romantic relationships. So I remember, you know, when Anna and I we're, were first starting to get into, and I don't want to presume that it's in everyone's relationship, but it definitely was for us. When we were first starting to get to know each other and we're falling in love, and when I told Anna, I love you, I didn't really mean I love you. What I meant, if I was being more accurate with my language, is I love you for how you make me feel. You make me feel so approved. You make me feel so validated. That's really what's going on at first. It's not I love Anna. It's like I love Anna because Anna approves me. She gives me this golden buzzer. So because I feel like she gave me a golden buzzer, I give her a golden buzzer. She did something that made me feel whole and approved, which therefore puts her on the judges panel of my life. Doesn't it? Hoping that she'll continually give me a golden buzzer and approve me and this feeling won't go away. Or some of us, we crave the approval of people who have never given it to us. And we make them judges, even though they don't know it. Hoping they'll give us a golden buzzer, which never seems to come. Jesus knows all of this. He knows our tendency. And so when they try to make him king by force, he's like, "Mm mm-mm, not having it disappears onto a mountain by himself, which should already tell us something about how Jesus handles approval. They don't have anyone to coronate, so they disperse until the next day. And the very next day, we pick up the story. And this is what it reads. When they found him on the other side of the lake, because Jesus went to the other side of the lake during the night, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. He just, Jesus has this habit. He like, we ask him questions and he's like, "Mm, I heard what you said, but this is what you really meant. I'm gonna cut right there, right? They're like, Rabbi, when did you get here? Let's just skip the pleasantries, okay? You're looking for me not because you saw signs, but because your bellies were full. That's why you're looking for me. You lack worth and approval, and I filled your belly for a moment. But you don't really love me, not yet. You don't really see me yet. You love me because I filled your belly. In the same way I said, I love you, Anna, because you make me feel so approved in a way that no one ever has. Dwight Eisenhower, when he was coming out of office, what a transition right there, right? Dwight Eisenhower. (laughs) Should have had a transition statement in my notes. When he was coming out of office, he warned the American people of something that he termed the military-industrial complex. And basically, this is what it is. We had just gone through World War II, and consequently, we had developed a lot of companies, a whole industry, a whole industry uh, to help make weapons and supplies to fund the war, right? So we created a whole bunch of companies who who built weapons. And Eisenhower said, look, here's the thing. We have this original war, but we have to demonstrate um, an imagination because we have two options. Either we pivot these companies into alternative industries, right? Or, or we go find another war because we have companies already that make weapons. So what's he saying? He says, we go find a war because we have companies that make weapons and we'll make weapons because we found another war and the cycle will be vicious. Eisenhower was correct in what he prophesied. But I want to also offer that if we have a military industrial complex, perhaps, and I couldn't, I don't know where I got this from. It's definitely not original, but I couldn't find the source where it came from. Uh, But I want to offer that we have perhaps a celebrity industrial complex, which America might have perfected, but we certainly didn't create it, all right? So we can't take too much credit for that. If the military one had to do with an original war, well, the celebrity industrial complex has to do with an original wound. And the original wound is this. We all lack approval. We all feel a lack of like complete, whole approval. And because of that original wound, we make celebrities. We, we turn humans into superhumans. We make judges in our lives. We make celebrities because we're all wounded, but we continually stay wounded because we won't stop making celebrities. The judges on the panel at one point were singers who got a golden buzzer. The first stages of a romance. Anna is a celebrity to me. She can do no wrong. A celebrity is just a superhuman, that's all it is. We elevate a human to the realm of a superhuman which is why, in our evolutionary history, we have monarchs, and it's the best hunter-gatherers, and it's parent figures, and it's judges. Some element in the society, because we're all wounded, we all lack approval, some element that can't be replicated or duplicated, we think they're better than us, we believe they'll give us the approval we so desperately lack, so we elevate them to this position of celebrity in our life. But Jesus says, don't work for the food that spoils. It's always gonna go bad. It never lasts. In romance, there will be a day when Anna and I stop filling each other's bellies in the way we did it first. There will be a day when your partner stops fulfilling you. There will be a day with your parents when you realize, oh, they're just like you and they don't know how to be an adult either. When, what age do you realize how to be an adult? Someone tell me. They don't have it figured out. And in this celebrity industrial complex, we keep making celebrities because we're wounded and we're wounded because we keep making celebrities. But when we realize that they're not, they're not the one either, what do we do? We destroy them. We forget about them. We throw them aside. It's like it wasn't you. Let's go do it again with someone else. Maybe they're the savior. It's just like what Eisenhower said. It's a failure of imagination. We didn't stop to think, or we don't stop to think, hey, maybe human approval isn't what I'm after. Maybe it doesn't have to do with the person. Maybe it's just people in general. (laughs) don't give me that lasting sense of approval I'm looking for. Do not work for the food that spoils. And you realize, when you examine this, and you examine the celebrity industrial complex and our own lives of how we make people in our lives into superhumans, garnering and, and really just wanting their approval so badly, you realize that this whole thing fails Because it's built, it's predicated on the basis of our works. We have to do something for it. There's a judge and a performer. Because we don't give approval to people. We give approval to what they do. If people are going to approve of me, it's not really me they're approving of. It's what I do for them how I stack up against the rest of the crowd so comparison becomes just this toxic thing in our hearts which we don't really you know hate the other person we're just wondering why won't I get approval when will it come for me and is there any you know if this whole it's not even just the celebrity industrial complex and the actual people we create tools for this as well and is there a better example than social media and what social media has evolved into? And just so you know, I use social media. I do. And I like it. But let's be real. At its core, it's a tool for approval, at least the way it's most often used. We post extensions of ourselves. We post you know, accolades and, and trips and our families. We sing our best song, don't we? And we trade thumbs up and thumbs down not for who people are, or maybe not, but it can be interpreted more for what we're doing because we certainly only post a small percentage of our days, don't we? And we secretly compare ourselves to others and we all feel depressed because where's our approval gonna come and when's it gonna last? When do I, what do I have to do? What's the work I have to do to get the food that lasts? And if you get enough thumbs up from the collective Well, then you become the celebrity. You become the judge. And then you have to keep working hard to stay in that judge's seat. And your thumbs up carries a greater weight or thumbs down. It's just so toxic. It's so hard. It's exhausting. And Jesus knows all this. He knows it all. So he says, don't work for that food. It spoils. Rather work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the father will give you. On him, the Father has set his seal of approval. So the conversation goes on. Then they asked him, okay, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What signs are you going to give us, Jesus? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And now we're getting even further into the heart of it, really for like the context, what's going on. If you don't know who Moses is, which is totally fine, Moses was a Hebrew legend. (laughs) Moses is the guy who God called and he led Israel out of captivity in Egypt. So he led them and he demonstrated tremendous signs. He had this staff and basically like it turned into a snake sometimes. And then like he made the water turn into blood. And he like, like, I don't know, I only saw the the Charlton Heston version, so I'm not exactly sure how it happened. But like he extended his staff and then gnats came out, which had to be really freaky or something. So like he just did tremendous signs. He parted the Red Sea. He gave water in the desert. And what they're referring to here is there was a period when when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and manna, bread, just like miraculously came down from heaven. Moses was a Hebrew celebrity. And they're asking him, okay, what are you going to do, Jesus? What sign are you going to give us? If you want to be our judge, earn our approval. And you have to earn our approval by giving us approval. Fill our bellies. Jesus, you're the new celebrity. That's what they're doing. You're the new celebrity. Moses gave bread. What are you going to give? Because if we're going to approve you, you have to do something for it. It's a judge and a performer. You have to earn our approval before we listen for your approval of us. It's so toxic. What are you going to do? And Jesus goes, it wasn't Moses. It was my father in heaven. Talk about taking down a celebrity, first of all. And he goes, it wasn't Moses. It was my father. My father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What's he saying? He's saying your entire system of working for approval of receiving approval based off of works, that you have to do things, you have to be perfect, you can't slip up, you have to post the right angles, get the thumbs up, that whole system is toxic. So you need celebrities, you need monarchs, you need godlike figures who you desperately do things for, hoping they will approve you in certain ways. And Moses was one of them. Moses was the best example. That's why you keep referring to it. Moses, who gave you the law and you thought, okay, well, if we believe the law, if we keep the law, if we do the things that will necessitate God continually giving bread through Moses' hand. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. That's not it. My father gives the true bread. It comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they naturally say, sir, give us this bread. And he looks at them and he goes, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We keep seeking approval from humans and it never lasts. It spoils, it spoils because we work for it. And Jesus goes, I will not allow you to continue doing this. I'm shattering that toxic system right now because I'm not the new Moses. I'm the bread, I'm the bread. I'm the sign of God's approval that you didn't work for and you can't lose. On him, God has set his seal of approval and by doing this, Jesus shatters the entire toxic judge performer paradigm. You don't have to work for it and you can't lose it. He shatters the entire celebrity industrial complex because he's saying, I'm the bread that never spoils. I'm the approval that fills the wound. You don't have to look from others anymore. Well, then, who is Moses, right? Who is the one who gives the bread and he tells us? Who's the one who gives approval that lasts forever? It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, it was my father who gives the true bread. God is the true celebrity. <laughs> the one you're ultimately seeking approval for, and it's, it's like, this is so Sunday school, and I know it, but there's no other way around it. The reason why we continue to fail and seek approval is because we look in all the wrong places. We keep looking from humans, and it's not that we aren't created to validate one another. We are, but not First and not ultimately. God is the true celebrity. God is the true judge that we're looking for. And I know we're not, we're, we are a community where not everyone in here is a follower of Jesus. And that's awesome. Thank you for being here. You are welcome in our family, wherever you are. But ultimately what, we, what the promise is and what I found to be true in my life is that I am most full with a a validation and approval that surpasses circumstances and surpasses understanding, when I am living my days and my life in a way that is seeking the love of God through the story of Jesus. When I have his approval, everything else just pales. It's not as important. God is the true celebrity, and Jesus knows all this. which is why when they tried to make him king, he disappears, he doesn't need your approval. He doesn't want it. They tried to fit him into their paradigm. He said, I'm not gonna work for this. I'm not working for you. I have one judge, and he's already approved me. Because if you were here last week, remember, the very first thing Jesus did to start his ministry was to be baptized. And the first words that God says to him Before he's done anything, before he's done any work, he goes, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus' belly is full. His belly is full. Well, okay. Well, how do we get this bread then, right? How do we get this eternal bread? If you're the bread, Jesus, this approval, how do we get this? And they asked him that. They said, what must we do? We still think it's on the basis of our works. What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, okay, fine, if you need an answer for that, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Which seems just as impossible as, as it sounds simple, doesn't it? To believe in the one he has sent. And I've said this before, but just to say it again, in the, the original Greek language, the word for believe is pistuo, pistuo, And often we translate pistuo to believe, but that's unhelpful because for us, when I say I believe something, I generally mean just my head, don't I? I, I intellectually understand the thing, but that's not at all what Pestua was getting at. That's, that's one part of it. We want to understand it, but that's not full belief. Full belief is better translated trust. To trust in the one he has sent. And how do you trust something? And I've used this example, but again, anyone ever go to summer camp and do trust falls? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see a couple, I see a couple whoops. Trust falls, basically it's this. You stand on a high ledge and you turn backwards and there are people back there with their arms out and you have to say, okay, I'm trusting that you're gonna catch me or something like that. And then you fall back and trust they catch you. Now, I, I can do the math and figure out and believe that they're there and they're going to catch me. But I don't truly trust they're gonna catch me until I actually fall. So trust in the one that he has sent. Live a life that knows that it's not on the basis of what you do to earn it, nor can you lose it. All you have to do is turn your face to Jesus and say, I I receive whatever it is, I'm yours, and continually turn your face. How do we get this bread, this approval? I don't have to sing for it, I don't have to dance for it, I don't have to live a perfect life, I can't can't lose it, I don't have to earn it. It's, It's like we walk onto the stage and Jesus is sitting there in the judge's panel and we don't know how he got there, but he's there. And we get ready and we're nervous and we open our mouth to sing and before a word comes out of our mouth, Jesus slams the golden buzzer and goes, approved, approved. And people start running and they mob us and they're like, well, I didn't do anything. Yep, approved for who you are, for who I am, for what I've done. God approves you because he made you, not for what you could ever do or leave undone. This is really tough to believe, isn't it? Because everything in our world testifies to the contrary. Every part of our day says that we're actually not approved for who we are. We have to earn it. How does this, how do we even begin to believe this? Well, the, the conversation goes on. I'll invite the band back up now. We're gonna close soon. But the conversation goes on. And it gets weird. <laughs> it gets weird. Jesus starts saying stuff like, hey, this bread is my flesh. And, and um, the, the cup, is, is my blood. So unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Which everyone's like, well, what does that mean? Well, that's very odd. He's doing, there's a lot going on in this scene. Jesus is blowing up the whole um, context that wants to make him king. He goes, I'm not gonna be a king the way you think I am. I'll be it a different way. But he's also prefiguring where the story is headed. Because of course the story is headed to a cross, as we sang about. To Jesus hanging on a criminal's cross, which, for those of you who may be unfamiliar, that is a very humiliating way to die. It's reserved for the worst of the worst, it's not an honorable death. So, Jesus, God's sign of approval, dies in a humiliating, humiliating way. What's he doing? I, uh, this is going to be ironic given everything I just talked about. I was very, very lucky and fortunate to go see Hamilton last night. <laughs> Do you approve me? <laughs> very, very lucky and fortunate. And I get it now. I get the hype around it. It's incredible. But the story <laughs> is pretty Classic. For those of you who don't know, a guy named Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, he uh, is born to a father who leaves him, his mother dies young, he's an immigrant, he's basically your classic, I got a chip on my shoulder, I need approval, somebody approve me, and he lives his life in a frenetic pace to earn approval, perhaps his works, perhaps if he gets to certain posts in, in the army, perhaps you know, the way he lives, the legacy he leaves behind. He's obsessed with his legacy. And there's like this constant refrain of, you'll never be satisfied, you'll never be satisfied. And he gets married, and he really doesn't treat his wife well. He f- neglects her because he's pursuing his own career. He's pursuing approval. It's a classic story. And then toward the end, we find out he has an affair. He has an affair. And in the name of preserving his legacy, he doesn't allow his political opponents to get it out. He outs himself. He outs himself. And by so doing, totally drags his wife's name in the mud destroys her. That's the other thing about approval that we don't talk about often is that in the name of getting approval from these superhumans we make, we often destroy the ones who actually love us the most, the ones who do give us approval for who we are. He drags his wife's name in the mud, and then he gives his son advice that ends up leading to his son's death, and he ends up being a very just broken man and toward the end of the play, there's this unbelievably beautiful song where he's just, his political careers are shattered, his marriage is shattered, his son is dead, he's hanging on, and he's, there's this, this line, this song about how he's just walking uptown a lot. And it, one of the, the lines it keeps going through, it's unimaginable, this is unimaginable. To lose a child, to have a, a destroyed marriage, what happened to his life, it's unimaginable, it's unimaginable. Learning to live with the unimaginable. It's quiet uptown. He's a broken man. And then there's a scene where where the writer, um, I think it's a brilliant move, but one of the final voices in the song is Eliza, his wife, she gets to speak. And she has this phrase where she goes, Because, I mean, the story's told from Hamilton. But what does Eliza think about all this? She's the one who had her name dragged in the mud. What does she think? And she goes, There are moments that the words don't reach. A grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand, we push away the unimaginable. They're standing in the garden. Eliza by his side. She takes his hand. And then there's some quiet. And then you hear the chorus go, forgiveness, can you imagine? Forgiveness, can you imagine? And here's why that's such a powerful image. Hamilton is utterly broken. He's at his most unlovely. He's at the moment where the rightful thing would say, hey, we disapprove of you. And the person who he's hurt the most, Eliza, standing with him at his ugliest, grabs his hand and says, I'm still gonna be with you. I approve of you here in this place. See, friends, we wonder often, why did Jesus have to die? Why did God in the flesh go to the cross? Well, could it not be that in that picture of a man, of a human being suffocating, bleeding out and dying, couldn't that be sort of a personified image of what's going on in all of our hearts and lives? We're all wounded. We're all bleeding out. We're all waiting to die. Are we not? We're waiting to die. And God, the one who we have most harmed because he's our creator, the one who we need his approval in the same way that Hamilton overlooked the approval of his wife, God, the one who actually fills us, has allowed his name to be dragged in the mud, who has come in the flesh and at our worst, at the image of us suffocating and dying because we've lost it, God grabs our hand. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. And in the moment of our ugliest, Jesus goes, let me tell you the approval of the Father. Even in death, the ultimate shame for a human You will not be alone there. I approve you even there. I join you even there. I'm gonna reverse it. And we're gonna build a new life even after all the wrong that has happened. Unimaginable, unimaginable. And here's the last thing, which is pretty remarkable as well. If God is the true Moses, the true celebrity, And Jesus is the true bread. And when we realize that, that in our ugliest, as our most, uh, when we deserve the most disapproval, we're actually approved. In our world, in our day to day, guess who else becomes Moses? Then you do. In the kingdom of God, we're all celebrities. In the new creation, we all get to be Moses, because we get to go give approval to a world that is still trying to work and earn it. We get to go tell them, no, 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 no. Let me tell you the story. Let me meet you in your ugliest and let me grab your hand and say, ah, even here, you're loved and accepted. Even here, grace enters. Will you pray with me? Father, I know that um, I know this is a tough message to believe even though we want to believe it. Even when we see forgiveness like that, it moves us on such a deep level because we know that's ultimately what our hearts are pining for. That we posture and we seek approval from one another, but we all seek it on the basis of what we do. And the whole point Jesus, the whole reason you came is to say, you don't earn my approval. I give it to you freely. That's what grace is. And just so you don't have a tendency or the temptation to believe that you earn it or that you can lose it, I'm gonna give you God's approval at your absolute ugliest. And so Lord, I ask that even right now that you would call to mind in each person here, the places where they go seeking approval, that have let them down or they can't get it. And would you speak to them, Jesus, in that place? Slam the golden buzzer and say, you're approved right as you are without earning it, without losing it. I see you. I see you the ugliness. And I want you to know I'm not ashamed of you there. I choose you there. I love you there. I approve of you there. Because I am the approval of God. I myself, you didn't earn me, you won't lose me. Just receive me. Let me grab your hand as a friend. Let love the love of God reach you. Lord, we know that that type of work takes so much time. It doesn't happen overnight. And so as we step out these doors and once again we we step into a world that's tempted, that tempts us and tells us we have to earn approval and we better not lose it and we better compare ourselves would we hear your voice say, that's not it? That's ridiculous. Would we tell that to one another? When our brothers and sisters feel like they have to earn approval or they're going to lose it or they're seeking it from someone else, would we tell them, stop? You're loved by the Father. You're forgiven. You're chosen and cherished right as you are. You're a child of the King." Let that be the message. Let that grace fill us. So as people step into this community, Lord, as they step into the lives of everyone in this room, would they experience that overwhelming grace? We praise you, Jesus, and we receive the eternal bread. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.